Hallelujah. My name is Tripp. I'm still not Pastor Mace, if you didn't notice. Still me. Before we get into the word, I forgot we have one more announcement, my bad. Um, some of y'all may know a dear brother of mine, dear brother and sister, Nelson Chu and Teresa Chu. They have an announcement. They're expecting this one on the way. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. Yeah. Now, um, I know what you may be thinking. Who let their little brother on stage? In Pastor Mace's absence, I've been given the opportunity uh, to stand in for him today. So, we're going to take a break from my series in First Peter um, to look at something else. And I think it'll be very, when I looked at the passage, when I was reminded of the passage, I think it'll be very profitable for us as a community. Um, so that's my prayer. Um, so before we get in, uh, let's pray. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we're gathered here today because you've saved us. You've called us your church. You've called us your people. You've purchased us. You've redeemed us. You've given us your spirit. And now we gather to worship you. May worship extend from the songs to the word to the communion, to the giving, Father, to our everyday lives. And may your authoritative word penetrate hearts. My prayer, Father, is that people would see past me. I'm an inadequate, weak vessel, Father. My only hope and confidence is in the proclamation of your word. I have nothing to offer but Christ and him crucified. So, Father, I beg and plead with you for your assistance, and I pray that your spirit would work in hearts, Father. I know my persuasive words can do nothing, Lord, and I know the success of this, this message depends on you and your spirit. So I pray you do a work, Father, be with us during this time, and most of all, show yourself to be who you are. Make Jesus look glorious. Make living life for you look glorious. May you be glorified. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. The title of the message for today. Thank you, Brother Craig. The title of the message for today is Inhaling Properly. Inhaling Properly. I know that sounds weird. I'm not sure if anybody's ever inhaled improperly, but you'll understand once we get in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the human life, from beginning to end, depends on oxygen, right? Is there anybody in this room who's not breathing right now? If so, we need to get you to the emergency room immediately. Because the human life, from beginning to end, without fail, depends on oxygen. There's nobody who's ever been born. There's nobody living. There's nobody who's ever lived whose life doesn't depend on oxygen. Right? 
It's the things, one of the things that we desperately need. From the first, from the first moments we ever lived, we, br we breathed oxygen, right? Breathing oxygen right now. If we, don't get if we don't breathe for a little bit, we might get brain damage because of the lack of oxygen that gets to the brain, right? We're in desperate need of oxygen. And when I think about the word of God, oxygen is the only thing that really compares for us. For the Christian, the word of God is the exact equivalent to oxygen. From first breath to last breath, being sustained, our very life depends on the word of God as our oxygen. So I'm really excited about the opportunity that the Lord has given each and every one of us to be part of this community where his word is preached boldly, authoritatively, and correctly. We need this oxygen. We're encouraged to get it during the week. We need this oxygen. We have cipher groups. We need this oxygen. But my concern is people breathing improperly. And I think that's the concern of James in this passage, too. So if you could open your passage, I mean, your, your scriptures to James chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 18. And the question we want to answer today is, what does it mean to inhale properly? What does it mean to inhale properly? That's a question we want to ask today. And I think James, James does it. James 1, verse 18. When you got to say cheer. Yeah. What's up, Buck? Yeah. Okay. James will show us how to inhale properly, humbly receive and act on the word of God. Verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to speak. I mean, excuse me, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Well, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer he acts. A doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So we're going to look today, what does it look like to breathe properly, to inhale properly? First point we see in verse 18 is that a believer receives and is born by the word of God. A believer receives and is born by the word of God. Just like the first time we were born, the first breath we took, the first moment we were considered alive and born, we breathed oxygen. For the believer, he receives and is born by the word of God. Verse 18, the first phrase we want to look at is it says, of his own will, he brought us forth. Of his own will. This, this makes a very clear point that we talk about very often at Epiphany Fellowship. God does not respond to us. When it comes to salvation, God does not respond to us. We're by no means the final decision maker when it comes to our salvation. Though it's our responsibility to repent and believe, God doesn't respond to us. It says it clearly of his own will. The NASB says in the exercise of his will. 
he brought us forth. We're not the final decision maker in regards to salvation. And if there's anybody in this room who's decided today, they've had it on their mind that I'm a Christian, Lord, and it was because of the way I believed in you. Though it is through your belief that he saved you, mm -mm. it wasn't by your will. It was in the exercise of God's will. He doesn't respond to us. There's not a single point where he's like, oh, that's what they did. I'm going to do this in response to that. That never happens. As we look in the scriptures, God's hand is behind any and every single movement, and we respond to him. If you're a Christian in this room, it was because you responded to God's call. But our messed up wills wouldn't have responded minus him making the first move. And we'll see later in the verses why it's so absurd to think that we could be in control of such a thing. Don't you hate when somebody tries to take credit for something you did? Don't you hate that? I do. I know y'all are Christians and you want God to get the glory, but you hate when somebody takes credit for something that you did, don't you? I do. Maybe I'm just stripping. God hates it when people try to take credit for what he did. In the exercise of his own will, he brought us forth. The second point that we see in this phrase, in the exercise of his own will, is that God was not obligated to save us. God was not obligated to save us. There was nothing that forced God to save us. There was nobody else that was pushing him to save us. The Lord Jesus Christ was compelled by nothing more than his love for us and his passion for his own glory to save us. Nothing compelled the Lord Jesus Christ to save us. Nothing compelled the Godhead to play their roles in saving us except their love for us and passion for the glory of God. We need to understand that. Have you ever seen an adoption where the parent was obligated to adopt the child? No. Part of why adoption is esteemed as something nice is because out of their own goodwill, they decided to adopt somebody. The Lord Jesus Christ has adopted us. Now we're sons of God, reconciled us, brought us to God in the exercise of his own will. He wasn't obligated to save us. And I don't say this in order to make you feel bad, but I say this because it tells us a beautiful truth about our God and his love. That he's so loving that it compelled him to save people who care nothing about him. Don't a single one of us care anything about God outside of him doing a work inside us. Our God is incredible. His love is incredible. He was not obligated to save us. Let's not try to take credit for what he did. We also see a little bit later in the verse, he says, he brought us forth. It was an exercise of his own will that he brought us forth by the word of truth. And where did he bring us forth from? Why was there a need for God to bring us forth? For us to understand the beautiful work that God did through his word, we have to understand the state that mankind was in before we met his word. The scriptures tell us that apart from God, every man is born completely dead in their sins, without exception. Nobody in this room, just as sure as everybody in this room was born breathing oxygen, every single one of us in this room was born dead in our sins. Many people try to deny this truth. Many, many Christians try to deny this truth. Many non-Christians try to deny this truth. Some people say, no, there's still some good in man. He's not completely dead. There's some good in man. And others go as far to say is man is basically good. He does bad things, but at his nature, he's really good. Well, I think the scriptures degree, disagree very strongly with that notion, very strongly, not to mention experience disagrees with that. 
Cause people done, some people done did me dirty in my life. I don't know about you. <laughs> Somebody did me dirty yesterday. Ate my food in the freezer. <laughs> that ain't sinful. I don't know what is. <laughs> I was excited about that food. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2 says this. Says this. If you're still questioning whether or not we were actually totally dead in our sins, I think... <laughs> I think the Bible answers that question. Ephesians 2 verse 4. You don't have to flip there. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. We were more than just sick. We weren't just sick in our sins. We weren't just a little weakened in our sins. We were dead dead in our sins more reason why we should praise the lord jesus christ for his incredible grace was not obligated was not compelled by anything other than his own nature to save us and raise us from the grave thank you father for your grace we were dead in our sins our taste buds tasted for things that god hates our nostrils hated the sin of any righteousness loved the smell of sin our feet hate to walk the path of righteousness, love the path of unrighteousness. Our desires, we desire everything that the Lord hates by nature. The things we take joy and delight in, the things that taste sweet to us are all things that the Lord hates. Because we are dead. Dead in our sins. If there was a dead person laying on the floor, no matter how many times I called to him, if I was like, Jimmy, Jimmy, J Jimmy. He wouldn't respond because he's dead. <laughs> we are dead in our trespasses and sins and unable to respond to God. We're dead to God, right? No relationship with him. We can't hear him unless the Lord does something in our hearts. The gospel call is not a call for sick people to get a little better. The gospel call is a raising of dead men from the grave. So if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he didn't just make you a little better because you were sick. He said, I see this helpless, weak person in the grave. Lazarus, come forth. Trip, come forth. Kurt, come forth. Al, come forth from the grave. He raised us. The same way he called Lazarus from the grave, Lazarus didn't have any hope. It was a wrap for him unless the Lord Jesus raised him. It was a wrap for us, but the Lord Jesus raised us from the grave. Praise him for that. Praise him for that. We were dead. Our hearts, before we meet the Lord Jesus Christ, are a cold block of ice. Right. A cold, hard block of ice that nobody can penetrate. Nothing can penetrate. Only the word of God can can kind of creep in and melt it instantly and soften it and be able to mold it for the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no substitute. There's nothing else that can do that. Persuasion of men can't do that. You feeling bad can't do that. Nothing can do that. But the word of truth, it says it was by his word of truth that he brought us forth. By the word of truth. So for those of us in this room that claim to know the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to think back to the day that we said we met Jesus. What forced us to respond that day? If it wasn't the word of truth, then you need to examine yourself. If what caused you to respond was a good presentation, if the gospel wasn't even preached, you just felt bad, then that's not the kind of salvation that the scriptures are talking about. 
And feeling bad isn't enough to raise you from the grave. Only the word of the living God can raise you from the grave. Praise the Lord for the word of truth. He brought us forth by the word of truth. Faith in itself isn't enough. Just believing. Pastor Mace actually talked a little bit about this the other day. Just having faith doesn't matter. You can't just have faith in faith. That doesn't matter. Faith isn't what's important. It's the object of your faith. Faith isn't a virtue unless the object of your faith is actually worthy. Faith isn't a virtue. You have to believe the right things. That's what makes faith incredible. Who we're believing upon? The Lord Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. So if what you claim to be the moment that you came to know him, if it wasn't by the word of truth preached from the word of God, then we need to think about what happened. Because it was something other than a, than a biblical conversion. Then he says he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. James just kind of pulls on a little bit of Old Testament language in this part. Now, if you look at Israel, they were supposed to give the first fruits of everything to God. Firstborn, first fruits of the harvest. And it was a special part of everything that was dedicated to God in a special way. And it was a foretaste of things that were to come. A foretaste of the spiritual harvest that was to come. In the same way, the Lord often calls his people, he called Israelists at times, and now he's calling the church of first fruits, right? Out of all of creation, there's a special piece that he chose for himself to be dedicated to himself in a special way. But in addition to that, we're a foretaste of what's to come. We don't need to be foolish enough to think that the only thing that fell with the fall was mankind. All of creation fell. The Bible says all of creation groans in pain awaiting the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're just a first fruits of what the Lord is going to do eventually. The whole of creation was broken with the fall and the whole of creation is mended and restored in the cross of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ comes back, he intends to redeem all of creation. Animals too. Them too. If we've come to faith in Jesus Christ, it's due to the fact that by the spirit we humbly received the word of truth, which is important, as we'll see through the passage, humility in receiving the word of truth. So from beginning to end, we must continue to receive the truth of God in meekness. But after that salvation, what does it look like for the believer to inhale properly? Okay, we've inhaled for the first time and we've been born. Now we're living and breathing real people. We've been raised to life. What does it look like for the believer to inhale properly after that? Is the word of God just as important after that? Is it okay for you to be saved by the word of God and continue without it? Is it okay for a baby to be born and not breathe anymore? Nah, not at all. We can look at verse 19. Verse 19. First point was that a believer receives and is born by the word. That was the first verse, verse 18 and verse 19. A believer must continue to receive the word in humility. A believer must continue to receive the word in humility. Verse 19, James says this. Know this, my beloved brothers, that every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, if you look at the book of James, if you read it, which I recommend, I mean, it's like it's the word of God. It's a short book. It's not that long. You'll enjoy it. It's nice. If you have the spirit in you, true conversion. 
he deals a lot with this, with this theme of the tongue. So if you read James a little more, you'll see more of this. But in this, in this part, he just kind of introduces it to us. And he says, we need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I think we need to look very closely at what he's telling us here. Because this is not what it looks like for most of us. I know y'all. This isn't what it looks like. For the believer, our quickness needs to come in our hearing in the way that we listen. When James talks about quickness in this passage, he means a readiness and a diligence to listen and to hear first and foremost. That's all we need to be quick in. Our readiness and diligence needs to come in listening and hearing. Now, I think in the passage, the listening is a twofold. I think it's listening from others and I think it's listening to the word of God. Our listening needs to be quick. Now, for those of us who've been born by this word of truth then we were confronted with the fact that we were dead and in need of a savior. And now the spirit, like we have this humility in us now that we recognize that we don't have it all together, but it has to continue. The believer has to recognize I still don't have it all together. So I'm probably going to be wrong sometimes. That's why I need to receive wise counsel. That's why I need to live among the body. And that's why I need to be quick to hear, ready and diligent to listen. That's all we need to be quick in when it comes to communication. That's it. And then he tells us what we need to be slow in, slow to speak and slow to anger, slow to speak and slow to anger. For some of us, we just quick to quick to speak and ain't no listening involved. Some of us really just we just talk too much. We're not quiet enough to ever receive anything. We're always talking. We're never receiving. Therefore, we never grow. Slowness needs to apply to our speaking and our anger. If we look in. We see the same kind of exhortation in the Proverbs. Proverbs 13, 1, it says, A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. A wise son hears his father's instructions, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. And then verse 3 of the same chapter says, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. We're sinful, and we ruin ourselves when we open our mouth too much. That's what the Bible says. We need to be slow to speak. We need to be quick to listen. We need to be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to anger. The sad truth is, what James seems to be telling us to be slow at, we seem to be quicker at that. That's what we seem to be best at is running our mouths. But that's how we are by nature. But the Holy Spirit prayerfully is cultivating a kind of humility in us to where we recognize that we need to receive more than we give because we don't have it all together. Humility is a first step in any kind of growth. You have to realize you don't have it all together. If you don't, then you're just going to stay in the same place forever. Good luck with that. (laughs) Believers in Jesus Christ have had their postures changed. Whereas before we met the Lord Jesus Christ, we thought we had it all together. We like to speak a lot. Now our postures have been changed where we're ready to receive. But mainly from the word of God. We don't need to just be quick to hear anything and everything that everybody has to say. Anything and everything is not, it's not good. People say a lot of stuff. They quick to speak. We need to first and foremost be quick to listen to the word of God and then quick to hear from others but matching it up to the word of God. And I think the area that this is going to, you know, kind of hurt us a little much is probably going to be in hearing rebuke and the word of God from other believers within the community. That's going to be an area where this, I think, is going to hurt us. 
And I think we have to pay attention to this. Along with this new posture, we have to be slow to anger as well. Sometimes the word of God coming from others is cutting, it's challenging, and it hurts. But we have to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I know some people that every time you try to, hey, man, like, I don't really think that was a good idea. Shut up, man. I did it because, you know, Colossians 9, 5. Colossians doesn't have nine chapters, brother. <laughs> quick to speak, slow to listen. If you would have listened, you would have knew how many chapters it was. You're running your mouth too much. I'm just saying. We need to be available to receive rebuke from our brothers and sisters. That's the kind of believers we need to be if we intend to grow. Colossians does not have nine chapters. Listen and you will know that. We have to guard ourselves from becoming those type of Christians because those type of Christians simply don't grow and they don't glorify God. This is the kind of listener. This is the kind of communicator that the Lord desires. Interacting with his word, being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Interacting with his word from the pulpit. When Pastor Mace preaches, you know, he'd be stepping on toes. Every now and then he'll yell at you too. That's scary when he yells, ain't it? <laughs> we have to be slow to anger, quick to listen. Anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. That's what he says here. He says, slow to anger for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. It simply doesn't. So you can get angry all day. You can get angry at what you hear from the word of God. You can get angry at what you hear from your brothers and sisters, but it will not achieve the goal for the Christian, which is the righteousness of God. Living to God's standard, living in a way that pleases God. Anger simply does not achieve that. And he'll tell us what does achieve it further down in the passage. Then he says, verse 21, he says, therefore, Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The word here for put away literally means to take off, like to take off clothes. So when it says put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, it means literally to take it off as if you were taking off clothes. I think it's Acts 7.58 where they were before Saul, before he was Paul, and they actually took off their robes and cast them before him and uses the same word, take off. This is to take off our filthiness and rampant wickedness. We see stuff like this all throughout the scriptures. Ephesians encourages us to, to take off our former manner of life in, in addition to Colossians. Um, but we're not just taking it off to take them off. We're taking these things off to replace them with the word of God. We're removing we're removing these things that take on the word of God. I was trying to think of how to, how to illustrate this, how not removing these things can damage what's to come, and I thought about this. Have you ever, like, went to eat something, and, and the plate that you went to put your food on had a bunch of, like, whoever washed the dishes didn't really get it right, and it's, like, stuff from their food on it, like chicken and juices that don't go with your meal? Isn't that the worst? I deal with that. I live with five single young dudes, so that happens. We missed the lesson in dishwashing or something. It happens sometimes. Or if you like go to eat with a fork and you like bat and you see some juices from something else, that's the worst, ain't it? It's the worst. The other day I did that, and I went to eat, and then I saw that. I was like, who had the kitchen? I was like, slow to anger, slow to anger. <laughs> let, me, let me chill. 
Let me chill. But look, here's what I'm trying to say with this. In order for us to enjoy the meal that we're about to enjoy, we have to cleanse all the filth from the former meal off of the plate or off of the fork. Otherwise, we won't be able to enjoy the meal at all because there will still be remains from the former meal. Right? You know I'm not playing. If you... So I'm saying, for those of us who are saved and in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's renewed us and he's once for all defeated the sin that used to characterize our lives. We used to be characterized by deceit, by lust, by enslavement to sin, by pride. But now he's removed all of those things once and for all. And when these things remain on our plate, they hinder the meal that's to come. They hinder the word being implanted in us and saving our souls. They hinder that word. So we have a need to remove all of the filth so that the new things can take root in our souls. He says, remove those things and receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. All this filth and all this garbage from our former life plagues us and hinders us from receiving the word implanted. It does. We can't just decide one day without putting these things off it. I'm going to just start studying the scriptures and I'm going to grow crazy. You have to put these things away if you, if you plan for it to take root in the proper way. There are some of us who still haven't moved this moral filth and this rampant sin. And we may decide one day, well, I'm going to just start studying the scriptures. You will not grow as you're supposed to because you have not removed this other stuff. Trying to read the word of God, but your heart is still ruled by lust. Your heart is still ruled by pride. Your heart is still ruled by the wrong desires. This word is not going to take root because this is a hindrance. It's not going to take root. When we were saved by this word of truth, the word was implanted. You see, he says, um, put away and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. When we were saved by this word of truth, right, called forth by the gospel call, this word was implanted in our hearts. The law is written on our hearts. That's the, the promise from Jeremiah 31, right? That in this new covenant, I'll write the law on their hearts, this new and superior covenant by the Lord's grace. We're part of this new and superior covenant. The law is written on our hearts. The word has been implanted. But all of this filth that we still have yet to be removed is hindering the fruit that's coming from this seed that's been implanted in our hearts. The seed is implanted in our hearts. There's fruit to be born, but it's a bunch of weeds in the garden that are hindering the fruit to be grown. We need to weed out our hearts. We have to take off these things. Not just take a little bit of it off. We have to take all of it off that the word of God implanted can really take root. And then he says, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now we witnessed above verse 18 how he's already saved our souls by the word of truth, right? In our, in our first Peter series, we talked a little bit about being saved in the past, right? Being saved currently. And then looking forward to our future salvation, right? We talked a little bit about that. So when he talks about saving our souls, he's talking about our presently being saved, our progressive sanctification, our growing in holiness. This is what he's talking about when he says, which is able to save our souls. But we have to remove the weeds that hinder the fruitfulness and the growth. And the Christian must never begin to think that he began by the gospel but then now he must continue by something else. We can never act like I came to faith by the word of truth, but after this, I'm going to continue by something else. No, sir. 
not by any means. We have to continue by the word of God. We have to continue by this oxygen that gave us life because if we don't breathe, we don't live. It's over for us. I don't know about you, but every single time I open the word of God, I'm challenged in an incredible way. Every single time I open the word of God, there's never been a time when I've opened it and felt like I had it all together. Every single time it challenges me, every single time it prunes me, every single time it, it exhorts me to move forward, every single time it reminds me of how incredible God is, every single time it reminds me that I'm comforted in the spirit alone, it offers me comfort in God. The scriptures is how I breathe. This is how we breathe. And if we don't cling to this, we are not going to be able to continue. We need the scriptures. In the same way that when conversion happens, it takes the word of God to melt our ice cold hearts. It takes the word of God through the rest of our lives to melt our ice cold hearts. Right. This is already not yet type thing. We have this new heart, but we still struggle with sin. Right. We're redeemed, but we're still waiting for our future redemption. And we still wrestle with sin every single day. Am I alone in that? No. It's still only the word of God that can break through and melt our cold hearts. Only the word of God. So if we're not getting in the word of God, then we're not going to be able to be pleasing to God. There's no, there's no hope for us outside of the word of God when it comes to growing in holiness. If we don't breathe, we won't live. And if somebody's not breathing, then they're not alive. Right? I'm not suggesting that if we stop reading the word of God, we'll lose our salvation. I'm saying if we have no desire to breathe, maybe we never started breathing in the first place. And we have a need to examine ourselves. Are we in the faith? If you don't have any desire for this oxygen, maybe you haven't breathed before. It's nothing like breathing the word of God. But there's more to what it looks like to receive the word with proper posture. In the final verses. But before we, before we move, I did want to look at the contrast real quick. The contrast of the angry response, slow to anger for the anger of God does not achieve the righteousness of God. And then look at the humble response, the salvation of your souls. You see the contrast? We respond in an angry manner when we're quick to speak and we're quick to anger. Instead of slow to anger and slow to speak, no righteousness. The humble response gets us the salvation of our souls, growing in holiness. A third point, a believer must receive by responding in action. A believer must receive by responding in action. Our first point was, what was the first point? Take you back to class. First point, a believer receives and is born by the word. I need to speak up, I can't hear you. The second point is a believer must continue to receive the word in humility. Third point, a believer must receive by responding in action. Part of inhaling properly is responding in action. It's not inhaling if you're not doing it the way the scriptures say. Verse 22 says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. This may be the most challenging section of the passage. Because I think it'll hit home with all of us in some kind of way. He just he starts to give us two kinds of men. He has you have the hearers and the doers. And we have to decide which of those we are. And only one of them is glorifying to God in the way that they receive the word. And what James says to us is kind of scary is that reading your Bible isn't enough. 
Reading your Bible is not enough. Coming here every Sunday is not enough. Hanging out with Christian friends that quote the word of God is not enough. You're not meeting the standard if you're hearing the word. There has to be more for that to be done if you're to inhale properly. This is what the word of God says. He tells us if we're not doers of the word, we're deceiving ourselves. He said be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because we're tricking ourselves into thinking that we're doing enough and we're living pleasing to God because we're hearing the word, but it's not enough. The Lord is telling us it's not enough. I know a lot of people even right now are thinking, he's not talking to me. Every time I read the word of God, I agree with everything that's said. Every time Pastor Mace preaches, I agree with everything he says. When Pastor Deuce preaches, everything he says. When Shai preaches, everything he says. When Manny preached, I agree with everything he said. Trip, eh, but the rest of them. I agree with everything they said. It's not enough. Agreeing with what people say is not enough. Later in this book, James says, you believe? That's cute. Demons believe too. It's not enough. Faith without works is dead. And here he says, you heard. Oh, that is so cute. That is cute. You heard and you agreed. That's cute, but it's not enough. It's not what pleases God. Don't fool yourself into thinking that coming here on a Sunday is enough. Don't fool yourself into thinking mm, that was a good sermon, that the Lord is pleased with that. The Lord's not impressed with your ability to use your ears. Don't fool yourself. It's useless to come here every Sunday and not do anything. You're wasting your time. To open your Bible and not do anything, you're wasting your time. God's not impressed with your reading abilities. You're wasting your time. This reminds me of something that happened to me this summer. Very sad story. I was on tour this summer. I do a little music thing, you know what I'm saying? I was on tour this summer. And when you're on tour, you can't really keep up with everything in life like you used to. So my bank account. It's hard to tell this story. My bank account, I forgot that I was out of money and I needed to transfer money from my savings to my checking. And I thought I had overdraft protection. I didn't. I don't know what I promised I had over. Wait, this is okay. I already solved this. Can't do anything about it. So I went to him and I said, well, let me just say, I thought I had money in there. So I was charging up a storm. I was every airport. I was buying magazines and fast food. Cats didn't have money. I was like, I got you, dog. <laughs> All thinking that I had money in my checking account. Little did I know, for every time I bought a vitamin water, some Mike and Ikes, a Time magazine, trying to figure out what the election was doing, a, a burger, some fries, $35 every time. Like, I was like, I bought some lemon heads. That was 25 cents. 35. I just paid $35 for some lemon heads. They was good, but wow. And I don't even want to tell you how much the fees added up to. I'm so embarrassed, and I think I'm going to lose some rewards in heaven for that. So I went in after. I went to the bank, and I said, I said, ma'am, can you please show me some mercy? 
It's not that I did not have the money. If you look at my savings account, I have enough money for these lemon heads I was buying. <laughs> I thought I had overdraft protection. I'm almost sure I had it. I think something went wrong. She was like, no, we're not waiving any of the fees. I tried to give her the, I'm young, and, you know, I was busy. <laughs> Can you help me out? I mean, I was out serving the Lord. <laughs> Didn't do anything for her. And here's the point. Even though I had all the money in a savings account to the bank, it was useless. It wasn't there when I needed it. If it was not applied to the account, if it wasn't applied when I charged the card, it didn't matter if I had the money in the account or not. The money was useless because it wasn't applied when it was needed. In the exact same way, I don't care how much knowledge you stored up from the scriptures. I don't care how many sermons you've heard. I don't care how well you remember the points. If it's not applied, then it's useless. God is not impressed with your I know Bible stuff bank account. He's going to say the same thing. 35 rewards lost. Just playing. Just joking. I'm just playing. That's not in the Bible. But the truth is that God is not impressed with your theological knowledge. If it's not applied, it doesn't mean anything. Every single time, there's no way to get around it. Verse 23, he talks about the foolishness of the person who only hears. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. I always wanted to do that. The foolishness of the hearers. Think about if you decided to go look at yourself in the mirror to see what you looked like. Ladies, I know you do this every day. Some of y'all dudes too. You think you're pretty. You look in the mirror every day to figure out how you look. And you just stare in the mirror. You looking intently like, dang, I'm looking right. Eyebrows is on point. You know what I'm saying? Hair is just right. And you walk away from the mirror and forget everything you just saw. You even saw some flaws like, dang, I got this stuff on my face. Walked away from the mirror and forgot everything you saw. Wouldn't that be foolish? That would be crazy. I mean, I'd be worried about that person. That would be crazy. James is pointing to say, y'all are doing the exact same thing. The exact same thing. It's pointless for them to look in the mirror because it served no purpose. You didn't remember what you looked like. You gained nothing from looking in the mirror. All you did was see what you looked like. You moved and forgot about it. It's useless for us to stare into the scriptures and to move as if we never saw anything. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. James compares the word to a mirror because it shows us ourselves. When we stare into the perfect law, the perfect standard of God, when we look into this book and see that God is holy, when we look into this book and see that God is flawless, when we look into this book and say God has never lied, God has never has pride, how humble you are, Lord Jesus Christ. When we stare into this book, we see how short we fall every single time. If we look into this book rightly, we will see every single one of our flaws because we're looking into the perfect standard. We're going to stop looking at the world and those around us and everybody who looks just like us where we look okay and actually look in the mirror where our flaws will be exposed. It's like they were exposed the first time when we came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, saw that we were sinful and in need of a Savior. We have to look again to see we are still just as much in need of our Savior to grow us and save us in the end. 
When we stare into this perfect mirror, it reveals our flaws. But it doesn't matter how much we look into it and see our flaws if when we walk away, we forget we ever saw anything. If you come here every single Sunday, Pastor Mace preaches an, an incredible message about trusting in the living hope. And you think about it and you say, Dag, Lord, I don't, I don't trust in you as a living hope. Walk out these doors and never think about it again. You are wasting your Sunday morning. God is not impressed with your ability to sit here. And it's useless. It means nothing. You walked away from the mirror and forgot what you looked like. That's a foolish man. We don't need to be foolish men and women. When we leave the mirror, we need to remember what we looked like. Let's not be the foolish hero. And then he contrasts this hero with the doer. Verse 25, he says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hero who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is the hero that glorifies God. The word for look here means literally to bend down and peer into. If you look at every other place that's used in the scriptures for the most part, it's always somebody bending down. They bent down to look in the tomb and saw Jesus' linens. They bent down to examine something. That's the word used for look here. For the person who bends down to the word of God and closely examines themselves. This is the doer that glorifies God. Now, the other one, they use a different word for look there. It's still a word that means to consider carefully, but this word means to look intently. That's what it says in the NASB, to look intently, to examine carefully. And he not only looks in it intently, but he abides in it. He perseveres in it. He doesn't just look and move. He abides in it. If we're not going to abide in the perfect law of God, then we still don't have a choice. We still don't have a chance whatsoever. One look isn't enough. One doing this isn't enough. We have to abide in the perfect law of God. We must come back to this oxygen time and time again, taking sweet breaths of his perfect law. Take sweet breaths of his perfect law. You know, when you're running real hard and you take a break and you stop, and it's sweet to stop and get your breath again, taking sweet breaths of oxygen because it's what fuels you, it's what keeps you moving. Stop and take sweet breaths of the perfect law of God, lest you don't make it to the end. There's never a time when we're done taking breaths, ever. He talks about the perfect law, and then he says, the law of liberty. That seems confusing. How can a law be liberating? The law of liberty? When has there ever been a law that was liberating? Laws put, put chains on us and bounds on us, right? We're bound in chains by laws. Like when we drive up 95 and we got to go 55, we're like, die, man. Same liberty, dog. <laughs> I mean, I go 55. I don't know about y'all. I obey the speed limit most of the time. Excuse me. How can a law be liberating then? Minus the spirit of God, this perfect law of God is not a law of liberty for us. For a single one of us, this law is not liberating. This law is 
condemning this law is chains for us. This law represents condemnation. This law means the worst things for us. Minus the spirit of God, the law of God is your enemy. Because that's what's going to condemn you when you stand before the Lord because you haven't been able to match up to this law for every single one of us. That's what will condemn us minus the spirit of God. It's only a law of liberty if the spirit of God lives in you and enables you to do it. Minus the spirit of God, you cannot do it. With the spirit of God, you can. Praise the Lord that he's made this law a law of liberty for us and not a law of bondage. Praise the Lord that he indwells us and enables us to glorify him. Thank you for new hearts, Father. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. That this law doesn't have to condemn me, but it can instruct me. Now we can look into the law and see the perfect character of God, and it can instruct us how to be more like him instead of condemning us. Thank you for the law of liberty, Father. Thank you. These, these things about doing and not just hearing are especially important in circles like ours, these scholarly circles where we love theology and we love doctrine. We love to read big books here. We love to say big words like eschatology. We like to say that. Even when people don't know what we mean, we just like to say it because it sounds nice. Eschatology. This is important for us because God is not impressed with your reading abilities. I keep saying this because I really want people to be able to understand this. No matter how much you read, no matter how much you know, it means nothing if you are not doing the word of God. So if you're reading these books and you're not doing the word of God, you might as well quit because it's useless. Stop looking at yourself and walking away and forgetting what you look like. We must look into it intently, persevere in it and do it. Some of us, we got to figure out what that looks like for us. What it looks like, the, um, the NASB says, but the doer of the word, um, he looks intently into the perfect law, becoming not a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. What does it take for us to pass from forgetful hearers to effectual doers? You need to figure out what that looks like for you. The scriptures tell us what it looks like in function. We have to abide in it. We have to persevere in it. We have to look intently into it. But what does that look like for us to abide and to persevere in this law? For some of us, it may mean memorizing scripture, right? In order not to be a forgetful hearer, memorize the scripture and meditate on it all day. Remember how beautiful the Lord Jesus Christ is, right? When things don't really go your way or when you get something and you forget who gave it to you, just, just remember, say, ah, every perfect gift and every good thing is coming down from above from the Father of lights in whom there is no shifting shadow or variation. Remember that. When you're tempted to do something else, remember, blessed is the man who meditates on his law day and night. Remember these things. Memorize scripture and remember it. When you see people that you need to give the truth to, recite the Great Commission. Make sure you're a doer of the word, whatever it takes. If you don't want to be useless in your understanding of the word, maybe you need to memorize it. We've even put things in place as a church, a cipher groups, where we come together on Wednesdays and we chop it up about the very things we went through on Sunday. That's a banging way to make sure we're not forgetful hearers but effectual doers. Once again, no attendance doesn't guarantee it, but it's a good means by which to do it. But your heart has to be in it. Your heart has to be in it. 
If you hold your breath for too long, no. You're going to have to catch up and start breathing again, right? You never hold your breath for a long time like, and just come back breathing normally. It's like the long gasp of air, right? If you hold your breath for too long, if you've been holding your breath for too long, don't hold it any longer because you're going to have to catch up. You have things to put off and things to put on. Then he concludes it in verse 25, and he says, I'll read the whole verse. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hero who forgets but a doer he, who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James is pulling off of all kind of Psalm 1 language. Can we read Psalm 1 real quick? Turn to Psalm 1. One of the most beautiful passages in the Bible as it relates to the word of God. And the beautiful blessing of abiding in the word of God and actually doing it. Look at the man that's blessed. He says, blessed is the man who walks. Watch, it's already talking about doing. Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff, like the wind that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The way of the hearer will perish. The man that's blessed is the man that walks in the counsel of God, not the man that hears the counsels of God. The man that walks in it. Now, this doesn't mean do, do the word of God and God will bless you and he'll give you stuff. That's not what that means. But the doer is blessed because he's walking in the way of the Lord. He's like, who knows better how things are supposed to be done than the person who made life altogether? Who could better tell us how things run in the world, how relationships work, than the God who created relationships and the world? Who better to tell us these things than God himself? He tells Joshua, he says, he's about to go on these conquests. He says, don't let the word of the law depart from your mouth. You'll be successful and prosperous. The way to success is the word of God. That man will be blessed in what he does. Doing is part of inhaling properly. Doing is part of inhaling properly. We must humbly receive the word leading to action. Leading to action. There are a few reactions to the sermon that I anticipate. Either one will say, by the Lord's grace, I have been doing. I come here every week and I hear and then I do. I read my scriptures at home and then I do. I have been doing. And then you have the person who says, you know what? I come here every week and I hear, but I haven't been doing. I haven't been doing. And then you have the other person that says, I come every week, but I'm incapable of doing because I don't have the spirit that you were talking about. And when I thought I met Jesus, it wasn't by the word of truth. It was by something else. And I didn't latch on to the gospel. I latched on to a presentation or whatever it may have been. Those are the three reactions I possibly anticipate. But every single one of them should lead you to fall at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
If you say, you know what I have been doing, fall at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and depend on him to continue and abide in him and his word. If you say, you know what I haven't been doing, fall at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, praying for his grace to allow you to. Pray for his strength and his spirit to guide you in that. Pray for his people to hold you accountable, to rebuke you. Pray for his people to be around you. And if you're saying, I'm incapable of doing it because I was never brought forth by the word of truth. Fall at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. The only one who can enable us to do good. The only one who fills our voids. The only one who saves us from our sins. The only way we can do righteous deeds. The only way we can find true satisfaction. The only way we can find true joy. The only way we can even benefit from the word of God. We need this. It's the only way we can be blessed. Fall at the feet of the Lord Jesus. My prayer is that we would not dishonor the word of God by responding to it in a way that doesn't please him. When we open this book, this isn't like this isn't Jewish campfire stories. This isn't a bunch of men who thought up their best thoughts about God. When we open this book, this is the living, breathing word of God. As if God was standing behind the podium and speaking. As if God actually took a pen and wrote in your Bible. This is the living and breathing word of God. Don't dishonor the word of God by responding to it in a way other than he desires. Don't use the word of God to seem like you're spiritual or to stack up some knowledge. Don't use the word of God to make yourself feel better as if you're doing good. Either read it, accept it humbly and do it, or don't mess with it at all. Because it's useless to do anything else. It's useless. If we're going to stop reading the Bible... If we're not going to seek the Bible, then we might as well just stop breathing. Same thing. This is our oxygen. This is what gives life. Nothing else does. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. You've been so merciful to us. There is none like you. There is none as faithful as you. There is none as loving as you, as gracious as you, as merciful as you. There's nobody like you at all. There is no word that compares to yours. There's been many a poet, songwriter, lyricist who've composed beautiful words, but none of their words give life. Nothing gives life but the word of God. Thank you for your word, Father. And I pray that everybody in this room, as they respond to this word, would fall at the feet of the Lord Jesus, depending on the Holy Spirit to please you. If people do not know you, Father God, may today be the day that they do so. May they repent, turn from their sins, and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we who know him, not just hear the word and know it, but do it. Pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you were not brought forth from the grave by his word of truth, then I pray that today would be the day that you repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you say, how may I be saved? It sounds wonderful. How may I be saved? 
then we can chop it up with you in the back today. We have decision calls. We want to stay in contact with you. We want to walk through with you. We want to pray with you. We have life coaches who can chop it up with you. So prepare our hearts and minds for the communion.